Hello, and welcome to Mindful Mentoring. I'm Tom Martin, host of the podcast and founder of the Martin Center for Mentorship and Communication at the College of Charleston. I've spent more than 40 years in the communication profession, and when I speak to successful leaders, I find that almost all of them can point to a few individuals who made a profound difference in their lives and careers. They may not call themselves mentors, but that's the role they play. On this podcast, we speak to successful people about their own experiences, both as mentors and mentees. Our guest today is Steve Cody, the founder and CEO of Peppercom, an innovative mid-sized agency based in New York. Steve has a long history with the College of Charleston, having served on our National Advisory Council for many years, including two years as council chair. Steve has been a frequent speaker in classrooms and student forums here, and he's been a mentor to many of our students through the Mentor-Protege program, one of the programs of the Martin Center for Mentorship. Steve has recently written a new book, The ROI of LOL, in which he recounts the positive role that humor can play in the workplace. Steve has been a stand-up comedian himself, and at Peppercom, every employee tries their hand at stand-up. Steve, welcome to Mindful Mentoring. Thank you so much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be a guest on this amazing podcast. Well, we appreciate it. One of the things you've done is you've made a real name for yourself in the way that you've employed humor in your company and, and in your own life. So were there some mentors who helped shape your career, and did they inspire you to explore humor more, more deeply? Yeah, there were you know so many mentors. Um, my first mentor would be um, my journalism professor. I was a major in journalism at Northeastern University, and I had three tremendous internships in newsrooms. And I went to my professor and I said, I love news, but I didn't care for the cynicism and the politics that I found in the, uh, in the newsrooms. And he said, what about public relations? And there were no public relations courses being offered at the time. Long story short, he introduced me to his contacts at Hill and Knowlton, and based upon my experience in the newsroom, I was able to land a key job at, North, at uh, Hill and Knowlton at the age of 22. Um, so he would be one of my first key mentors. Why do you think he took an interest in you, Steve? Uh, he knew I cared. Uh, he knew I had a passion for news, and uh, he also followed up with the the employers. That was that's one of the things that Northeastern does after a student goes to a a co-op, as they call it, which is an internship, they follow up. And in each case, I guess I got great grades for being insatiably curious about the news. So he knew that I had that in me, but I just didn't want, I thought I wanted to be the next Woodward and Bernstein, but it turned out I didn't. So he said the next best thing to, to apply those, that, that, that insatiable quest for news and communicating and writing under pressure would be public relations. Okay, so now you're a young person at Hill and Knowlton, a great big, uh, powerful PR firm. You're in your you know, early twenties. Uh, did someone take an interest in you there? Did someone mentor you there? Absolutely, Chris Komaszewski, who, as you know, went on to become global CEO of Hill and Knowlton and later Burson Marsteller. At that point in time, I reported directly to Chris in the corporate group. Steve was very, very focused on what it was that he thought was necessary to succeed. And he sought out people to give him that kind of advice. I just happened to be fortunate in the sense that I was one of those people. You know, I learned, um, you know, how Chris was absolutely unflappable in terms of handling um, crises, talking clients off the ledge. And Chris also stepped in when I, I made a terrible mistake, you know, an amateur mistake. People make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I was working on one of the bigger accounts 
and um, the AP was filing a story and they couldn't find the, the client contact. Uh, the direct report I had at Hill and Knowlton was out sick. So the reporter called me up for some fact checking. And so it was more than fact checking. He was asking some more in-depth questions and I was providing answers. And I was hearing typing in the background, Tom, not realizing that he was taking down all my words. I walked into the office the next day, not having picked up the newspaper. And the receptionist said, Chris Kamersajewski wants to see you right away. So I went into his office and he said, how did this happen? And I, you know, obviously, you know, I, my flatline. Steve was rather chagrined at the whole idea that he had a problem here. And uh, But Steve understood that instinctively. I said, I, I had no idea he was, he was typing. And he said, well, you know, the, the, uh, the client is okay with this. I'm okay with this. This should be a great learning experience for you. So I don't, I want you to really you know, think about what happened and, and just, you know, make sure it doesn't happen again, because this could be career shortening. And so he's going to have learned a lot of things along the way beyond my working relationship with him. And Chris was doing that all the time for me, helping me tweak, you know, mistakes I was making, always standing up for me, always supporting me with upper management. You know, another boss might have fired me, Tom. Oh, I'm sure that, that easily could have happened, and I'm sure it does happen. Um, you know, it's it's interesting you talk about Chris. I know Chris, and he's a, he's a great guy. And I think how mentors who may not be called official mentors but bosses handle mistakes, especially in a young person's career, is really key. Have you sort of taken that lesson to heart in how you handle uh, people who f- fall short uh, at, at Peppercom? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have, and I think it's it's due in part to the, the stand-up comedy and, and improvisational training. We really know each other well. Here's a favor here at the Glayton Fletcher Show and all the comedy clubs around New York City. And, um, you know, I, I am see a charity fundraiser every year. Give it up for the reputation man, Steve Cody! And uh, my employees get to see me fail miserably on stage. Are you guys having a good time tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Were the other comedians funny? Yes. Well, don't count on that for me. As a matter of fact, my motto is expect less. And so, so that kind of humanizes me, and uh, they feel that I'm much more approachable. So, um, so I am very open to uh, admitting when I've made a mistake, uh, telling them that I don't know the answer, and letting them know that it's okay for them to make a mistake and and learn from those mistakes. So, so we're very open to you know failing because Peppercom has failed many, many times, but we've learned from each setback. So we try to instill that in our employees as well. So now take me from Helen Knowlton to what was the sort of next step on your career path? Well, I started, I started Peppercom in uh, 1995 um, because I didn't want to be 65 one day, look back and say, I wonder what would have happened if I'd started my own business. So so I started it with another individual and uh, it, it took off uh, and became amazingly successful. And my next mentor actually was someone you knew, uh, my executive assistant, Dandy Stevenson. So she reported to me and right around 2004 or so, we were doing so well and uh, the business was coming in and she came into me and she said, I think you're getting a little bored. You need to challenge yourself. So I said, what do you have in mind? And she said, I think you should perform stand-up comedy. And I said, not on your life. So Dandy hounded me and hounded me. And I finally did it. Because as we all know, with age comes wisdom. And also memory loss. And, uh... 
wanted to expect less. And uh, that led to our, you know, in, in, in injecting the uh, comedy into our, our culture, um, really transforming Peppercom. And now we have five or six different service offerings that we help clients with all sorts of different issues, especially today in the workplace with so much anxiety, isolation, depression. Uh, if we can put a smile on someone fa someone's face or bring laughter into the workplace in the right way at the right time, it can make a big difference. Uh, why why did she pick stand up comedy? What what was that? What was the connection? Well, uh, you know, I have always been, and you know this, Tom. I have always been somewhat irreverent, and um, even you know, and I think I learned this to a degree from from Chris K. Not that he was funny, but he never took himself seriously. So my, my mantra has always been, you know, we take our clients' business and our business very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously at all. So, you know, from day one, I was always trying to do something a little bit different, you know, making a joke here, you know, pulling a little, you know, unexpected stunt there, um, you know, all within the guidelines and guardrails of workplace appropriate. Um, so I, I already had this, um, this uh, cachet, if you will, of doing some things irreverent. So Dandy saw that. And she said, you know, you should you should take this to the next level. You could really, you know, could really hone your skills and learn some new things. So she finally coerced me, really coerced me into taking this class. I think it's great that you raised her as an example, because mentors are not always people who are, quote, above us or on the on the sort of chain of command. Have, has that inspired you to kind of learn from your peers and even from subordinates as you go along? Oh, absolutely. Um, whenever we hire a new person. I say the one thing I want you to do is is to come in and ask me why isn't Peppercom doing this? I think it would work well at Peppercom. Saying you know he'll come to someone who's you know in their twenties and ask for input. So I really encourage our people to come to me with new ideas. Steve was so open and um, understanding and very kind. So so I I learn all sorts of things from my twenty two and twenty three year old employees. And one of the College of Charleston uh, grads, Sierra Buck. I actually started as pe at Peppercom as an associate and um, his executive assistant. Is actually my go-to in terms of telling me what works on TikTok, what works on Instagram, and what doesn't. And it never came from a place of, hey, I'm in my 20s, I'm on TikTok, you know, I I'll know better than you. It's not, It was never anything like that. So she literally guides me in terms of how I can be workplace appropriate funny on those social channels. Well, let's dig into the humor a little bit, because obviously you took uh, Dandy's advice. You did uh, learn stand up. You did, uh, you know, you've, you've done it many times and you and you've incorporated it into not only the way you run Peppercom, but the way you the way you help your clients. So uh, tell, tell me more about about that and how, how you think that works in the in the mentoring arena. Well, it's, um, you know, every client that we work with um, has a different challenge. Um, some of them are generational. Some of them are what's happened, reflect what's happening right now in the country in terms of red state, blue state, um, political anger coming into the workplace. Um, others have lost market share and um, they, um, they see um, laughter as a possible remedy for their sales force to differentiate themselves. So everything we do is tailored. And, and in terms of mentoring, what I do is I bring in some of our middle level people. We partner with, as you know, stand-up comedians and in some places academics to co-lead the uh, the workshops that we do for our clients. We do stand-up, improv, sketch comedy. And I will always bring along a, a middle-level employee, junior-level employee, so they can watch what we do because I am going to pass the baton fairly soon 
And I want the next generation to not only embrace humor, which they do, but to learn how to lead it and help our clients infuse it in their cultures if and when appropriate. Now, I know at the College in Charleston, you have uh, been a mentor to many students, uh, which we appreciate very much. Can you tell us a little bit about the going from the role of being mentored yourself with people like Chris Kay and others to being now the, 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 you know, the person on the other end helping to, to lead the next generation? What have been some learnings that you've had from that? It's, it's really a, it's a two-way street, Tom. And, and the best relationships, you know, mentor-mentee relationships I've had are with those individuals who, who, who listen. Um, first, I listen to them, Tom, and I try to find out, you know, who they are, what they, what they want to do, what they think they're best at. And then we work on a game plan together. And so, so what I need is, and, and what, I, what really works, especially with Sierra and with some other College of Charleston um, students, is, uh, is when they listen to me and they come back with something that they think is tailored based upon our conversations. And we keep fine tuning and honing their personal branding, their personal story. And then we figure out, do we, do we wanna go to a corporation? Do we wanna go to an agency? Do we wanna go to the, the, uh, the journalism side? What, where would your passion best fit? And once we have her, you know, her or his story down pat, we have examples, then we start the research process. She, she or he lets me know what would be the ideal position. Typically, I'm one, you know, six degrees of separation or usually one or two degrees of separation. And I can set first meetings for a lot of the College of Charleston mentees. But I want to make sure they're ready. And I want to make sure they also understand how to win an interview. And I spend a lot of time with them in terms of how to listen and how to respond and how to um, get the person who is interviewing you to talk about how they got to where they are in the in, in the organization. And I find that that's an extremely you know, smart way to differentiate yourself in an interview process. So I will do a lot of mock interviews with my mentee before I actually set the meetings, because obviously it's my reputation that's on the line when I ask a favor of another agency head or a head of HR at a global PR firm. So I wanna make sure the College of Charleston mentee is as ready as she possibly can be for that interview. We've done a lot of research lately on mentoring and, and why some relationships work and some don't work as well. And one of the things we find pretty consistently is that students often are intimidated by their mentor and, you know, not intentionally, but just they feel intimidated because the person is like you is successful and, you know, running an agency, that sort of thing. How do you, how would you advise students to overcome that feeling of intimidation when they're uh, approaching their mentor? Well, obviously, you know, mentors are different. I use my own self-deprecating humor to make them feel, you know, more, more comfortable. I, I talk about all my failures. I talk about all the obstacles I've faced. I talk about some of my first interviews at Hill and Knowlton when I was 21 or 22. So I try to level the playing field. So, you know, my, my advice to the College of Charleston students would be, again, to, to get your mentor to explain how they achieved, you know, their success. What was it like in the first year or two? What lessons did they learn in their first couple of interviews, their first job, et cetera, that would be applicable to what John or Jane will be facing come, you know, come graduation? So, so it's, it's really getting the mentor to, to open up and share his or her struggles and or successes when they were 22 or 23. So really, it's, it's all about being honest with each other and trying to be uh, uh, human, I guess, is really the, the answer, which I think is kind of a lot of what you've 
you're talking about in your in your work with humor. Tell us a little bit about the book. What what uh, led you to, to to write a book about this, and how's the book doing? And and what do you think some of the key messages are in the book? Well, a lot of people over the years have suggested I write a book. It really wasn't until the pandemic hit and all of the the, the employee um, issues arose, and as you know, um, the CCO um, you know really pivoted and focused on you know the the health and the physical, mental, and emotional health and well being. Of their employees. So all of a sudden that became, you know, not a nice to have, but a must have. So we were approached, I was approached by several publishers saying, you know, we've read stories about what you're doing. Would you be interested in writing a book? So as you know, I, I've been partnering with Clayton Fletcher and other comedians as well, but Clayton, we call our chief comedy officer. On the day when I first met Steve Cody, Tom, so it was about 15 years ago and a comedy club asked me to MC a show in which all the performers were going to be first timers. Well, Steve stood out to me. Uh, his comedy was really funny. I thought he had an interesting take on life. And so I said to him afterwards, I was like, if you're interested, I can help you get started in comedy. I, I can open some doors for you. Uh, he jumped at the chance. You know, he said, I really did think it was like a bucket list thing. I'm just going to scratch it off. And we started doing comedy together on a regular basis. And then he said, why don't you become my comedy coach? So HarperCollins signed us to a contract. And what they really liked is they, they did their research and they saw that there, there had been books written by um, academics about the power of comedy. There's obviously been books written about comedians, but there had never been a book co-authored by a business executive and a comedian. He reported to me that he was getting better at his job. Uh, the different skills that I was teaching him from a comedy standpoint, we're applying very directly to his work as the CEO of a PR firm. And that's where we're, we play at the intersection. You know, when we do humor and comedy training, we have a comedian talk about the skills that every business leader can learn and should learn. And I'm there to bring it down to the real world and say, this is how I applied what Clayton just said to a challenge in the workplace or an audience that's ignoring me or a very confrontational situation with a client or prospective client. There are so many skills, so many traits and abilities that stand-up comedians, you learn as you perform that are transferable to the workplace. So, so, so the book is, is all about um, the who, what, where, and why of, of how comedy and humor can be a game changer in terms of external and internal storytelling, uh, culture, uh, generational divides, uh, you name it, just about every uh, challenge, sales, you know, sales um, needing to be increased. And, and I think what's really cool about the book, Tom, is it's not just Clayton and me. We must have about 15 different chief communications officers, chief marketing officers, Peppercom employees sharing their individual stories of how they have applied humor or laughter, you know, in, in business situations. Um, so it's, it's really a very cool call to action for leaders at all levels. And I, I would say, you know, leadership begins as soon as you start on day one when you graduate from the College of Charleston. So this book is, I think, equally accessible to a 22-year-old um, junior account executive, as well as a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It's, it's really written that way. And the final chapter is really a, a DIY. If you don't want to hire Peppercom and you want to do it yourself, here's how you go about doing it. I know that humor is delicate, and we've all had experiences where we tried to make a joke and it and it didn't work um, or was inappropriate or whatever. 
uh, in today's world where people are getting canceled all the time for things that sometimes are funny, sometimes aren't funny, how do you advise, especially our, our students who are graduating now and getting into their jobs, how do you advise them to employ humor or not uh, as they as they begin their careers? Yeah, you have you have to do or they have to do what every comedian does, and that is read the room. So I'm from New Jersey. Anybody else from New Jersey? I commute every single day on New Jersey transit trains, or as I prefer to call it, hell on wheels. You know, listen first. Find out, you know, what what the, the person interviewing um, you is like. Does he or she seem very open and, and amenable? Are they very strict and, you know, all business? So, so you have to read the person. And, and that's what that's what, you know, I, I've always been, a, you know, a counter puncher, if you will. I, I like to listen and, and read the room. Even if it's, if it's one person or it's a thousand people, I want to get a feel for what the chemistry is, what the culture is and whether it's appropriate for me to inject humor or not. Um, so so it's, 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 um, it's really just, um, you don't have to study stand-up or improv. It's all about listening first and, and understanding, you know, this person really seems cool, really open, and, and I, I, can be, I can be myself with this person. And, and really, if, if you can't be yourself with that person, I think it's a good warning sign that you should move on and find, you know, another organization where you can connect and if and if, in fact, you know, laughter and humor is something that you would like to enjoy in your workplace, try to find, you know, that organization that does embrace things like that. Well, I think certainly in today's world where we seem to be so divided as a as a country, as a society uh, around the world, um, it seems like trying to find human ways of relating to each other is probably not a bad idea. What, what would you advise both, you know, mentors and mentees to just show that humanity in, in real ways. Well, again, I think it's, um, it's, it's empathy, it's, it's vulnerability, it's, um, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, admitting that you're not perfect, you know, and, and it's, um, you know, I made this mistake, but here's what I learned from that mistake. Um, so I think the more, you know, authenticity is a, is a overused word, but, you know, authenticity, vulnerability, um, and obviously, you know, um, you know, uh, reading the room and, and, and being, you know, energetic and energized in, in, the, uh, in the conversation. All of those traits are critical to winning an interview. Um, and it's also part of the mentor-mentee relationship. As I said earlier, it, it's a two-way street. And, and the best advice I can give is to listen first, um, whether, it, whether it's, it's oral or written, before you hit the send button, before you respond uh, listen first and try to read that individual as best you can. Some of the people listening to this podcast may be considering becoming mentors themselves. What have you gotten from the, from the mentoring experience and what would you, how would you advise people who are thinking about becoming mentors, but they're not quite sure? Uh, it's, it's the most rewarding thing in my life, Tom, outside of my family. So, so, so whether, you know, I, I do a lot of mentoring, to be honest, with a lot of, of, of people who are in their 50s have been downsized and are priced out of the market and have nowhere to go. So I, I don't just mentor, you know, college students, which I adore. I, I do a lot of mentoring with people who are just lost at sea and don't know how to reinvent themselves. So, so the satisfaction that I derive from helping someone else figure out, you know, what's my next step? How do I reinvent myself? How do I differentiate myself? How do I win this interview? Um, I, I can't put a dollar figure on how much that means to me. 
Um, you know, if, if, you know, if I'm remembered for one thing and I won't be remembered at all, but, you know, I really have gone, I think, you know, out of my way to try to help as many people as I possibly can. I think I'm at the point in my career where that's the least I can do. So, so I try to do more and more of it, um, you know, every day and every week, Tom, it means a great deal to me. Well, Steve, we really appreciate all that you've done for the College of Charleston over many years now and uh, for interjecting uh, humanity into the workplace. So thanks for all you've done and thanks for being with us today on Mindful Mentoring. We really appreciate it. You bet. My pleasure. For those of you listening today, if you have a great story about a mentor who has helped you or perhaps about someone you've mentored, we'd love to hear from you. I can be reached at my email address, which is martintr.com at cofc.edu. Thanks for listening.